chapter, Revelation chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get a Bible to you so you can follow along. Raise that hand real high, we'll get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one as a gift to you today from the Lord. Revelation chapter 2. That's where we left off, yeah? Thank you. Verse 8. Revelation chapter 2. All right, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Lord, we um, thank you so much that we can rest in you this morning. To, to rest knowing that truly our lives are in your hands. For you told us that. That we are your sheep. That you've bought us with your precious blood. And that as our good shepherd, you're the one leading and guiding us. And yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. For you are with us. And now as we open your word, we, we ask, Lord, we look to you now that you would be the one nourishing us and teaching us. For you invited us to come to you to learn from you. And that is our desire this morning. And so speak. Your servants are listening. Teach us, transform us, change us. Oh God, have your way in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Help us to correctly divide your word and to correctly apply it in our lives that we might bring you glory. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen. I actually forgot one thing just to, to mention. Listen, if you are having questions, um, concerns um, with anything going on in your life, um, in your walk with Jesus, um, myself and the rest of the pastoral staff, the elders, we are here. Typically, all of us are here at the four o'clock service. And afterwards, we've made ourselves available to anyone that, uh, that needs prayer, that needs counsel, that needs just maybe to hear from God's word, um, has questions. Um, we want to always be available um, to y'all. So just a little heads up on that. Revelation chapter two, Jesus speaking, the second church, verse eight. He says, and to the angel or the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison 
that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And so we are introduced to the second church, uh, the second report card given to um, seven churches. And remember with me, back in chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus gives us, and it's so beautiful, Jesus gives us the outline for the entire book of Revelation. Y'all remember that? No? Okay, let's do a little reminder. Back to verse 19, just for a second. Jesus told John, right? He told him, write the things which you have seen. That was chapter one. What did John see? John saw Jesus, glorified, awesome, amazing. Jesus was revealed to John in a new way, in a fresh way. And then second, Jesus said, write down the things which are. That will be chapter two and chapter three. Jesus is giving seven report cards to seven literal churches that existed in John's day. So seven report cards are going out to all these different churches. But listen, we're we're to have ears to hear what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is saying to all the churches because it's applicable for every church throughout church history, including us today as well. That's part two of the outline. And then part three of the outline, Jesus said, write down the things which will take place after this. And we'll see that in chapter four through chapter 22. It's in the future. And so unless the Lord comes, which would be way better, right? We will get to that. And so we learn from these report cards in chapter two and three, what a successful church is in Jesus's eyes what pleases him, what displeases him. And it's interesting, we read this second letter and there is no correction for the church of Smyrna. There is no uh, condemnation for the church of Smyrna. There is only encouragement. There is only um, um, instruction as well. In fact, the other church is the church of Philadelphia. So Philadelphia and Smyrna, no correction whatsoever. And it's a short letter, isn't it? It's more like a postcard, four verses. Is that what it was? Four verses? It's short. It is so packed. And just as we read through this, a number of things, as, as we kind of get a bird's eye look at this church, this was an afflicted church. This was a hurting church. This was a persecuted church. Why? Because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And uh, the early church faced a ton of persecution. And Jesus told us right up front that that would happen to us as believers right? He said, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. And that there'll be people that hate you. They will, they will despise you. They will persecute you. They'll in fact, put some of us to death for his name. And so Paul also told us all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Jesus told us, Paul told us, Peter told us also in his first epistle, That's all about suffering. It is part of our vocation, suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. And we suffer, don't we? Do we suffer, you guys? For lots of different reasons. But this church is suffering primarily for righteousness' sake, for bearing the name of Jesus, for following Jesus. And and many of them lost their lives. 
And it still happens today around the world. Many of the, the missionaries and ministers that we support around the world, their lives are on the line every single day. The threat of being martyred is in their face every single day. We're not facing that now. I don't know what's going to happen in the near future. Who knows? But it seems to be ramping up to me. There's sometimes some of us lose jobs. Some of us have lost family um, for the name of Jesus Christ. Some of us um, perhaps have have lost other things. We've been shunned or mocked. Um, been made fun of. That's part of persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. Um, If you'd like further reading on this, um, a book I could suggest to you that I like is Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you've never read it, it's a really good book. Um, It gives kind of an overview in church history of all those that have um, served the Lord and been persecuted and martyred for the name of Jesus. And listen, this letter has been a treasure to so many people. It's been such an encouragement It's been encouragement to me. Um, As I look at this this morning, um, as I've been studying, I think there's seven things in this letter, if you're taking notes. You you guys know I'm not a point guy. Here's point, bling, 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 bling. Sometimes if it works out, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But that's an amen. Thank you, little baby. Yeah. Way to go. It's all like a little sheep, didn't it? A little lammy. But... I think, there's, I think there's seven kind of points for anyone that's suffering. No matter what you're going through in your suffering, we'll see seven points here as we work our way through. And so um, notice with me a couple of things. Um, it says in the beginning there, the letter is to who? To the angel. And we've talked about this. If you're joining us for the first time, that word angel in the Greek, angelos, it means messenger. So it can mean a literal angel from heaven as a messenger, or it can speak of a minister who's a messenger. Um, the, the, the person that is entrusted with God's message, that is to faithfully deliver that message to the congregation, whether it's a pastor or another leader. Um, that's, I believe that's the best way to view that. The angel or the messenger, notice, of the church. Church in Greek is ekklesia. It means to be called out. We've been called out, haven't we? We've been called out of darkness into the Lord's marvelous, into his marvelous light. We've been called out of, we've been conveyed out of the kingdom of darkness and evil and Satan's kingdom into the Lord's glorious, wonderful kingdom. And it's so awesome to consider that. And Jesus said the church, we are to shine like lampstands for him. We're to be the light of the world. And so here is this church in this city of Smyrna. And they are shining brightly in the midst of all the darkness that is going on around them. I just want to give a little background on Smyrna. Um, If you're looking at your Bible map, it's on the western um, side, on the western coast of Turkey, right in the Aegean Sea. It's approximately 35 to 40 miles north of Ephesus. And this city, check this out, this city was a super old city. Remember King David? You guys remember David? This city existed before David. That's a a pretty old city, isn't it? It was a wealthy city also, and it's interesting. It was super wealthy. There was lots of business and trade because of its location. And not only that, this was a city that, that had been devoted or dedicated to the Romans. And so they had a lot of worship for the Caesars, dead Caesars, alive Caesars, 
They would worship, and what they would do is they would take a pinch of um, incense and put it on an altar, um, declaring their, um, their, their submission to Caesar is the idea, or their submission to Rome. And guess what the Christians said to that? No way, Jose. They didn't say that, but they said, no way. There's only one Lord. And they were supposed to offer the incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And they said, no way. There's only one Lord. They said, there's only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. He is the only Lord of lords and King of kings. And so this church is there in the midst of this darkness. Um, the city's known today as Izmir. And if you can't find Smyrna, it's Izmir on a Bible map or in a map that you're looking at. And so it's interesting, we know also the pastor of this church. The pastor's name was a dude named Polycarp. Church history tells us that. Polycarp died as a martyr in Smyrna in 155 AD. It was 50 years, check this out, 50 years after John the Apostle died, and he was a disciple of John the Apostle, Polycarp. If you get a chance to read the story, I was going to read it today, but we don't have enough time of how he gave his life for the Lord. It's an amazing story. But he was the pastor of this church um, in Smyrna. And so um, it's also one more thing to note. This, um, this city was a, um, a hub for dispensing or um, selling and trading a substance named myrrh, called myrrh. You guys ever heard of myrrh? Smyrna, the name gets it from, myrrh. Where do we hear about myrrh? Anywhere else in the Bible? Guys, remember where we heard about myrrh? Baby Jesus, that's right. The wise men brought Jesus what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many wise men were there? No, we don't know how many. Could have been three, could have been 30. Doesn't say. Didn't mean to mess with you guys this morning. Just... But myrrh, listen, uh, last time I taught Revelation, it was like three years ago, someone brought me some myrrh. It smells amazing. It's beautiful. It's an amazing, like, fragrance, this amazing smell. It's now solidified. If you were the one that gave that to me, I don't know what to do, how to get it back. I need another one. <laughs> but it was also used, remember, it was also used kind of like a narcotic. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? And they offered myrrh to him uh, to drink, to take um, as a painkiller. And Jesus refused to take that because he took the full brunt for you and for me. It was also used, remember Nicodemus? Remember Nick at night? Nicodemus came with what? With, with myrrh and aloes to, to wrap up Jesus' body, to anoint his body for burial. Um, myrrh, it's interesting, um, to get that fragrant um, stuff, the myrrh, the, the liquid, um, to get it, to get that, the, the, the process to make it, you go to this certain tree and the tree gets pounded and bruised and then it gets pierced and what comes out of it is this like resin that comes out. They scrape the resin and then they take it and in that process to, to, uh, to bring forth the, the aroma, that resin needs to be crushed and smashed and broken up. And, and really, it's an appropriate um, picture. Um, it's an appropriate picture for us of what Jesus went through for us. 
Remember what Isaiah 53 says about our Lord, that he was bruised and and crushed and pierced on our behalf for you and for me. In fact, Paul picks up on that same same imagery in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. It says um, how Jesus, we're to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Did you guys catch that? When Jesus gave his life for you and for me, when he suffered, when he was bruised and pierced, that aroma that came forth was blessing. Was a blessing to our Father. And can I just share with you this morning that when you are going through suffering, when you are going through difficulty, when you are going through hardship and you are trusting the Lord and looking to the Lord, he brings forth that same fragrance and it's a blessing to God also. And by the way, it's a witness to the people around you. Amen? And so the early church here, they're getting crushed. Is anyone suffering this morning, James said? Is anyone suffering among you? You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. To pray. And, and as we sang those songs together this morning, that, that's prayer. That's communication. That's saying, here's where I am, Lord. I want to communicate. I need you, Lord, every hour. I need you. I'm communicating my heart to you. And now we're listening to him. As we open his word, he wants to speak to you and to me in a special way and meet you right where you're at, especially if you're suffering this morning. And we all suffer, don't we? Yeah. We go through difficult things, hardship. Right. And so seven things this morning. Let's see what it says. Seven things to help us in our time of suffering. So Jesus says, here's what I want written, verse 8. Here's what I want communicated to my church, the church of Smyrna. And so what does Jesus do? Number one, he identifies himself with two, with two characteristics that come from um, the revelation in chapter 1 of Jesus. Two things. Um, and Jesus says that he is the first and the last That title, please listen this morning, that title is um, associated with God alone. In the Old Testament, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 41, Isaiah 44, and Isaiah 48, and you can try to find those verses on your own, God Almighty, the Lord, uses that title for himself. And Jesus used this same title, applied it to himself in chapter 1, in verse 11 and 17. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, I'm God and I'm in control. The first and the last speaks of his his eternal nature. It speaks of his sovereignty. Do you know that God's in control today? That should bring us peace this morning, knowing that he's not only in control of world events, but he's in control in your life too. Do you know you can rest in that this morning? Or do you have to pace back and forth, eating comfort food? Can we rest in that this morning? Take a big, big, deep LA fitness breath. The Lord is in control. Doesn't slip past him. Your life is in his hands. He's the first and he is the last. He's eternal. Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to change. The way he deals with his people in his word, same way he deals with us, with mercy and love and grace and truth. Isn't that great to know he doesn't change? He's the first and the last. I am the Lord, I changeth not, he says. And so he reassures the church this morning, his bride, what you're going through and what you're about to go through, it's all under my control. Isn't that a great comfort to a suffering person or to a suffering church? 
he also said, he reminds the church that he is the one who conquered death. Look what it says there with me. Who was dead and came to life. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day, never to die ever again. And he reminds them and he reminds us this morning that he is the resurrection and the life. Remember what he said to Martha in the Gospels? In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus said to Martha, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, do you believe this this morning? <laughs> Is that good news? You know what that means? Last breath here, first breath with him. In his presence. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so Jesus said to his committed followers in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, because I live, so you too shall live. What a comfort for a suffering church. Jesus reminds them, reminds us this morning that we have the answer in the face of death. Death couldn't hold Jesus, and death cannot hold you or me. So if you're suffering this morning, number one, Jesus reminds us of who he is, that he is the eternal one who promises eternal life to all those that trust in him. He is the, listen, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Isn't that good to know this morning? Yes. That's about 20% of the room. Uh, is that good to know this morning? He's the author. He's the author. It began with him. When you came to know him personally, he called you and you answered, Right? You didn't look, call, ID, and say, no, I'm not. You responded. Giving him your heart. We all come the same way, by grace through faith. Correct? You responded. He's the author. It all began with Jesus. It didn't begin with you. Right? He provided the Savior. We just provided the sinner. Not hard. Correct? He's the author, and he's the finisher of our faith. Do you know he's going to be there at the finish line? And he's with you the whole way. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The eternal one, he's with you no matter where you go. If you've entrusted your life to his care, he is the good shepherd who will lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We can rest in that today. He's the, he is the finisher. Remember Stephen when he gave his life? You guys remember that? In the book of Acts? You guys remember that? Yes. When he was stoned? Yes. With rocks. Some of you with rocks. Got to make that clear. Some of you get that later. It's totally cool. Just don't come back at six and ask what that was about. He was stoned. He was martyred. Saul, a.k.a. Paul, was right there holding the coats. Remember what he said? Father, don't hold this against them. I wonder where he learned that from. He learned that from Jesus. Don't hold this against them. And he looked up and he saw heaven parted. And who was standing at the right hand of the Father? Jesus was standing. All, we always see him seated at the right hand, seated at the right hand. And you read it, it says, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, I think, to welcome him home to embrace him and tell him, well done, good and faithful servant. In the midst of that pain, it says he fell asleep. Just kind of just do- <laughs> like, he, like he dozed off. 
That brings me great hope because I don't know what's going to happen to me down the road here as a pastor. If I'm going to have to lay down my life, that's cool. But, you know, I like knowing that Jesus is waiting, standing for me and standing for you as well. Beautiful. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Well, what does Jesus say to the church? Look at verse 9. I know your works. Jesus is aware of everything that's happening in their lives. Do you know he's aware of everything happening in your life? He knows what you're doing for him. He knows your works, your labor. He's acquainted with every detail as you're serving him, as you're living for him. He's acquainted with every hardship, with every hurt, with every tear, everything you're going through. He knows, he sees, and he knows he's acquainted with that too. Why? Because he came and walked in our shoes. Don't ever forget that. He knows what you're going through. He's intimately acquainted with what you're going through. The Bible tells us he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. He knows the infirmities that we have, all of our weaknesses that we have, and he is an ever-present help in our time of trouble. He's always available. You know what that means? He's always available. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going on, Jesus is there for you. He's not going to fire you. How about that? Does that make a little more sense? He's not going to give up on you. I know your works. He says, I know your, what's the second thing? I know your what? Your tribulation. Jesus was aware of the, that word tribulation means heavy pressure. It means oppressing. It means affliction, a heaviness that's come upon them, what they're going through. A a pressure like being smushed with grapes. At Smyrna, believers, they were outlaws, you guys. They were total outlaws, harassed, hassled, persecuted, maligned. They were, they were mocked. Listen, they didn't have cool church buildings with AC and heat and cool chairs. They met in caves and catacombs and every little hideaway in the nooks and crannies of the city, anywhere they could find a place to meet. And that's what persecution does, by the way. It weeds out people. It weeds out people that are not real, that are not genuine. And that's what happened. This was a pure church, a persecuted church, a pure church. They are suffering. And I would say, Jesus said, I know your tribulation. I know your works. I know you're continuing to labor in the midst of tribulation. These people were not quitters. They weren't quitters. They hung in there. They were still working and serving, even in the midst of difficulty. And, and can I say point number two then is, if you're suffering this morning, keep working. Keep serving the Lord. Even when it is difficult, keep living for Jesus, not the applaud of men. Keep living for the Lord. Keep serving the Lord. He sees, he knows, he will help you. Again, his grace is sufficient. Isn't that what he said to Paul? Paul's suffering with this thorn in the flesh. You guys remember that? He cries, ask ask the Lord three times, Lord, take this thing from me. Suffering, it's painful. I got this, this little devil that's, also coming along with the thorn, mocking me, persecuting me. And what did Jesus say? Wasn't it great? Paul prayed and then he listened. Remember what Jesus said? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, Paul didn't say, I got a thorn in the flesh. I'm out of here. I'm done with Jesus, man. He kept seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord. And what did the Lord say? I'm going to give you what you need. 
to keep my anointing on your life. I'm going to allow this to remain in your life, that my anointing would be upon your life and I can use you, that you would stay usable for my glory and for my kingdom. That's what suffering does when we embrace the suffering and say, Lord, I can't, but you can't. I need you. You keep working. You keep pressing on. You keep living for Jesus. What does he say? I know what you're going through. I know what it's costing you to live for me, to walk with me. I know the hardship. I know your poverty. Look what it says. I know your poverty. And, and this poverty isn't like, you know what, I, I can't get my latte this month because it's tight. This poverty is they got barely, they, they're destitute. Why would they be destitute? They live in this wealthy city. Lots of jobs. Trade guilds. It's a rocking city. Why would they be poor? Why would they have not, why would they be having not enough money to even rub together? Why are they destitute? Why are they living on food stamps? What's going on? What's, what's happening there? You know what happened? Since they refused to worship Caesar, since they refused to be involved with some of the unions, with the trade guilds, because along with those unions and trade guilds, they would have a false god that they would worship, and so they would have company parties. Some of you guys go to company parties, right? Christmas party, everybody comes, and it's all about partying, sexual immorality, fornication, boozing it up. And then the Christians were saying, we're not going to get involved with that. And then what happened? There goes their job. They get... They get ostracized from the community. It still happens today, by the way, all around the world. You decide to follow Jesus, and there goes your job, there goes your family, there goes your place in the community, in the culture, and all of that. But you know what? What Jesus says, look what he says. But you are what? Look what it says. Do you know Jesus is aware of your financial status? And look what he says. He stops for a little parenthetical break. And what does he say? But you are rich. He reminds them that they are actually wealthy. They were rich in his eyes. And it really, what matters most is his assessment, doesn't it? No? Yeah? Because Jesus measures wealth differently than we do. The church of Laodicea, the last report card, they're wealthy. They got bank. They got big, fat bank accounts, 401ks, retirement, fat pockets. And what does Jesus say to them? You're poor. You're destitute. Because what matters is what Jesus says. And for us as believers, we're, we're rich, aren't we? Oh, yeah. yes. I mean, we're rich as a nation, as a people too. But listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. Did you guys catch that? Now we're spiritually wealthy, aren't we? We have everything that, everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And not only that, Jesus is saying they're rich is because you know where they're storing up their treasures? It's not in their bank accounts. It's not in their land. It's not in their storage places. 
They're storing up their treasures where? In heaven. Didn't Jesus say something about that? Did Jesus say something about that, y'all? He did. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't get to it. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is like, you know what? You guys are rich. You've, you've set your treasure ahead. You've invested in the right kingdom. I see, I know, all that matters is my assessment. And can I remind us this morning, if you're suffering, don't forget you're rich. Do not forget you are rich. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And it's, isn't it interesting too, Jesus says a second time in that verse, I know, I know. I, how many times has Jesus reminded you? He's reminded me so many times, I know, I'm with you. I understand, I'm involved, I sympathize with your weakness. It's great to know that he cares, isn't it? He says again, I know, what's the next thing he says? I know, the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. Blasphemy is evil speaking about someone else or slander to another person's good name. And so there was a group of Jews. So check this out. There's persecution not only coming from the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, but there's persecution also coming from the religious people, the Jews. So there was a group of Jews in Smyrna who caused tremendous problems for the Christians at that time. And didn't Paul have to deal with that too? Did Paul have to deal with that too? Yes. Y'all remember? Remember on his mission trips, where would he go first? Bucky's, where did he go? Come on. Where did he go? Synagogue. He'd go to the synagogue, to the Jew first, right? And he would share. You guys, you guys remember? He'd reason with them from the scriptures, helping them to see Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament scriptures, laying it out for them. And what was their response? Oh, oh thank you, Paul. Is that what they did? Come here, good buddy. Let me give you some love. That was so great. Thanks for sharing that. Is that what they did with Paul? What did they do to him? They beat him up. They didn't beat him up. They kicked him out. They ran him out somewhere else. Correct? That's what's happening here in Smyrna. Here's this church. Here's these precious people. This pre- I mean, picture ourselves there. And all of a sudden, you've lost your job. You've got persecution coming from not just non-religious people, but also religious people. Man, you don't have any money. All you have is what? All you have is one another. Isn't that great? All you got is Jesus also, number one. But fellowship also. And so he says to them, I know you're being persecuted. I know you're having to endure trash talking, being hassled, slander from those who are what? Claiming to be Jews, but they're not. And Jesus knew that too, didn't he? Religious people persecuting him. He suffered at the hands of religious people also. But he says to them, look what it says. But they are what? A synagogue of Satan. Jesus says they're actually the devil's church. They are a gathering of those who belong to the devil. You know what he's saying? These people look back and they see their physical lineage is Jewish, but in reality, the reality is they're simply of the devil. That's heavy, isn't it? 
Didn't Jesus say something like that, though, to the religious people of his day? Did Jesus say something like that to the religious people of his day? You guys still with me this morning? You good? All right. Jesus, Jesus said, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. That's not a seeker-sensitive message, is it? You got this whole crowd of people. You, man, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Listen, those who reject Jesus Christ are an assembly of those who belong to the devil. I know it's a heavy word. John picked up on it later in his first epistle. Listen, you are either a child of God or a child of the devil. There is no in-between. Are you with me this morning? This is like super important to understand. John made it crystal clear. You need to be born of God to be part of his family by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you are a child of the devil. And any worship that does not confess Jesus as God alone is satanic. I'm going to repeat it again. Any worship that does not confess Jesus Christ as God alone is satanic. As Christians, we're not a religion. We have a a living, vital relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. We are the temple of God, temple of the Holy Spirit. And can I point out, there was no rebuke for the church of Smyrna. Why? This church had love. Think about this. What did they have? They did. Remember last week, the church of Ephesus, what was the correction for them? They left their first what? They left their first love. This is a church that has love. This is a church that is clinging to Jesus, holding fast to his name, continuing to trust in the Lord. This is not a lukewarm church. This is not a church that is embracing the pagan doctrines of the day or, or embracing a, a, a loose, loose living and saying it's okay because of God's grace. This is a church that is pure, a church that is full of love, a church that is holding on to God's word, doing God's word. It is a powerful church, and Jesus knows they're not forgotten. And sometimes, can I encourage us this morning, sometimes... In great hardship and in difficulty, there can be a temptation to think that Jesus doesn't know or that he's forgotten. And he assures us that's not the case this morning. He knows. Whatever you're going through, maybe you're suffering and being harassed and hassled by someone else. People are talking trash about you for following Jesus. Can I encourage you to be a witness for him? Isn't that what we're called to be anyway? Acts 1 verse 8. That's what the word martyr means, by the way. Marturo in the Greek. Witness. And some of us give our witness by laying down our life for the Lord. But we should be a martyr every day, shouldn't we? I'm laying down my life every day for you, Lord, for others. To be a, was Jesus a witness in his suffering? Yes. Was Jesus a witness in his suffering? Yes. yes. On the cross, what did he say? As, he, as, as there are those people that have they've already tried to break his body, now they're trying to break him emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And what does Jesus pray? Father, forgive them, for they know not 
what they're doing. Can you imagine? He's asking for forgiveness for them. He builds a relationship while on the cross too as he's suffering, right? With Mary, his mom, and John. In the midst of his suffering, he's building relationships. He's extending grace and mercy to the criminal next to him. Was he a witness in his suffering? He sure was, gang. Think about what the centurion said. Truly this man is the son of God. A hardened dude, a hardened centurion, battle-hardened, gnarly, pagan worshiper. All of a sudden he's going, wow. He is who he said, who he claimed to be. That thief on the cross next to him had a heart change, right? He had begun railing on Jesus, both of them, hammering him, persecuting him. And he's watching all this and listening to all this, and his heart is touched. In the midst of his suffering, the grace and the love and the truth. Listen, can I encourage you this morning? People are watching you as you suffer, when you go through difficulty. And, it's, and when we're crushed, it can be a sweet aroma to our Heavenly Father. But listen, it touches people around us as well. People that don't know the Lord, people that are backslidden, people that do know the Lord, it's an encouragement to them as they go through suffering also. Your life is making a difference. Listen, you either get bitter or you get better in suffering. And so be a witness. Pain is inevitable. Misery is optional. How about that? Pain is inevitable. Misery is optionable. Optional. Optionable. That's a new word too. Look at verse 10. This is heavy stuff. Verse 10. Jesus exhorts the church in light of what's coming their way. And he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Just reading that again and just studying that this week again. You know what Jesus is saying? He tells them things are about to go from bad to worse. Things are gnarly right now. They're going to get worse. That's heavy, isn't it? Not deliverance is on the way and their suffering is about to ramp up and get heavier. And Jesus says, he says what? He says, do not fear. Literally, check this out, literally stop fearing. You know what that means? That means in their persecution, in their difficulty, all that they were going through, there was some fear creeping in to their hearts. Do godly men and women sometimes have fear? Yes. David said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. He got his eyes right back on the Lord. But sometimes we look at people that are persecuted, our brothers and sisters around the world, and think they're like superhero Christians. They never... It's just they're, uh, they're courageous all the time, but fear creeps into all of our hearts. And we need to be reminded from the Lord, stop fearing. It's going to be okay. Look what he says. Indeed, check it out for sure. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you, not all of you, some of you into prison. The one behind it all, isn't that interesting? The one behind it all is the one who comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The devil's behind this. He's going to throw some of you into prison. Don't think like prisons like we have, by the way. You know, our prisons, like you got a bed, 
You got a TV, you got a weight room. You know what I'm talking about? In that prison, it's super gnarly. Either you're going to get flogged, you're going to get whooped, like what happened to Jesus. Remember he got flogged? That was meant, a flogging was meant to elicit a confession from someone, a criminal. That's why when Jesus stood before Pilate, what did Pilate say? Behold the man. I can't believe he survived. Look at this. Either you were flogged or you were exiled like John, sent to a prison island, or you were executed, fed to lions, or, or your life beheaded, life taken. So this isn't like, oh, you know, go chill out for a while. Why is this going to happen? Why is this going to happen? Look what it says. The, the answer is right in the text. Why? What does it say? That you may be, what? Tested. That you may be tested. I looked up that word tested. It means to test. Uh, it's, it's a procedure. Check it out. A procedure intended to discover or establish the quality, the performance, the strength, or reliability of something. Peter said in his first epistle, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter also said in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said to the church, he said, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. So the Lord uses this. And we see in this situation, the devil is behind it. What was intended for evil, God uses for what? God uses for good. Because refining, testing makes us more like who? Makes us more like who? Jesus. Romans 8, all things. We know this. All things work together for for good of those that love him and are the called according to his purpose and we are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What could be better than that? Do you know that everything that the Lord allows into your life, he's using? Every difficult circumstance, every difficult situation, the suffering, he doesn't waste any of it, even, even difficult people. You guys have difficult people in your life? You guys have difficult people in your life? Maybe you're saying, I'm looking right at them. <laughs> but really, we're often we're the difficult people. And what is the Lord doing? He's using all of it. He is the potter, we are the clay. Molding and shaping you and I. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, can I encourage you if you're suffering? I think it's like point five, I don't know. Seems like point twenty-one, Pastor. When are we gonna get out of here? Just soon enough. Get your Costco samples. Can I encourage you this morning for suffering? God's word will have the final say in your life. God is good. He's working all things together for good. He's begun a good work in you. He's going to see it through to completion. God is good and his mercy endures forever. Notice the tribulation. 
is going to last. The trial, the affliction is not going to go on indefinitely. There's a set amount of time, a limit of 10 days. And you know what? Smyrna passed the test. Of all seven churches that received report cards, only Smyrna, that's the only church that's still around today, is the church of Smyrna. Only one that still exists. They were crushed but committed. And what came out? A sweet fragrance from them. As they were crushed, as they were, went through suffering. And listen, the, the Lord wants to do the same thing in your life this morning. Do you know that? Remember David? Remember David? Yes. When he was on the run. Was he on the run for a while from Saul? Like a, a decade. Oh, yeah. His life hunted down. His son Absalom tried to kill him too. Remember what came out of that time? What came out of that time? Some blues songs? Blaming God? Griping? Some grunge stuff? Is that what came out? Psalms. The Psalms came out of that period. Those, def- those periods. Right, did the Psalms encourage you? How about when you're hurting? Is that one of the places you go to read? Do you go to the Psalms to read when you're hurting? When you're suffering, when it's difficult. Does anybody go there? Or do you just play Bible roulette? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you go to Psalms. Right? What? Think about that. That came out of suffering. All those words, all those Psalms that build us up and encourage us. It's almost like, how did the Lord know what I'm going through? <laughs> do you know the Lord wants to do the same thing through your life? You're his workmanship. Don't allow that suffering to go to waste. Say, Lord, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pressing into your heart. I'll continue to abide. I'll seek you first. I want you to fill me because an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is what? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking to one another in what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you're going through, if I'm going through suffering and I'm just belly aching, crying the poor memes, I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. But if I'm saying, Lord, fill me up, this is so, this is so, this is, I can't handle this, Lord, but you can. Fill me up, Lord. What's going to start coming forth from your life? A, a beautiful themes that only the Lord can produce in and through your life. A crushing that will bring forth an aroma, that will bring forth a fragrance that is pleasing to the Lord and touches the people around you. And look what he says, final exhortation and a promise. He says, continue to trust, be faithful, even in the face of death. In this case, most likely martyrdom. The just shall live by faith. Look at the promise. Jesus has a special victor's crown for those who are faithful in the face of death. When I say victor's crown, that's like from victor. Here's a crown from Victor you're going to get. A victory crown is the idea that they would give out at the Olympics. Um, James 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, he's saying to them, a greater deliverance is coming. Death is not the end for you all. You're going to get a crown of life. I'm going to lay that crown on your head and tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, if you're suffering this morning, stop fearing and keep trusting. The best is yet to come. Heaven awaits you.
Nothing can separate you from the love of God and the promises, the eternal riches that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, we got one verse. Let's finish up. Last, last thing right here. He who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen, take heed, obey what the Holy Spirit is communicating to you. It's like the Lord saying, don't blow this off. Don't blow this off. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the, over, and the promise, what's the promise? He who overcomes, those who continue to trust Jesus, the just shall live by faith, shall not be hurt by the second death. We're going to read about the second death in Revelation chapter 20. And so, good job. Shut it down. No. <laughs> what's the second death? I don't want that to happen to me. Um, that's a beautiful promise, by the way. You will not experience the pain and agony of the second death, which is hell, the eternal lake of fire. The Bible says it is appointed once for man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And for those that die apart from Jesus Christ, they are awaiting the great white throne judgment. They will be resurrected and brought before God at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. And they will be found guilty and sentenced to the lake of fire for all eternity. But Jesus says to this church, he says to you and I this morning, those of us who are trusting in him, you're not going to be hurt by that second death. You're not going to experience eternal suffering. And I would say that's point seven, maybe. If you're suffering, here's the encouragement. Here's the comfort. You ready for this one? If you're suffering this morning, here's the encouragement. You're not going to hell. You're not going to hell because Jesus rescued you. He took the punishment that we deserve upon himself. He took our place. Suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And you've received the free gift. And you're enduring hardship. It says about Moses, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The best is yet to come. I don't, he's like, I don't know what's better, to stay with you or go home. I'm stuck between the two. Can I encourage us this morning to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, no matter what you're going through. Seven awesome points to remind us that we, too, we have hope, gang. We are not without hope. And that the Lord is with us. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. What amazing, amazing portion of scripture, Lord. This amazing letter. And God, I just pray for my precious brothers and sisters right now. That they would take away the things that have come from your heart this morning. Thank you for the amazing reminders of who you are. And that we belong to you. Your, your precious blood-bought people. Your blood-bought bride. And this morning as we're still in an attitude of prayer.